On this Air Check episode, we continue our session with Atlanta's Steve Craig. Steve hosts the morning show on 97.1 The River. This is part three of four. Steve tells the tale of a lucky listener who won a contest to have Foo Fighters play in their garage. How he started his radio career and a few encounters with fame along the way, including with one of his radio idols, the real Don Steele. Here we go. Welcome to Air Check. Season 4, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities, managers, consultants, owners, and your most humble hosts from Philadelphia, Rich DeSisto and Paul Kelly. I'm Rich DeSisto. And I'm Paul Kelly. This is part three of a four-part series with Steve Craig. And when we last spoke with Steve, he recounted the tragic day of the Olympic bombings in Atlanta, July of 1996. Jill Melanson, uh, who was our night person was there live on the air and she literally had the mic open and she was doing a talk set and all of a sudden you heard this we learned about how the end of atlanta's 99x created a new beginning at a new radio station in new york city new york's wrxp everybody in and around the industry said no rock doesn't work in new york it just does not work and Dan and uh, uh, a few of the other guys, uh, Brian Schock, who was uh, involved in uh, uh, programming of the station, um, Jimmy Steele, a lot of these uh, these industry guys told us, no, we're going to prove them wrong. We're going to make it work. Ladies and gents, it's Steve Craig. <laughs> you could almost call uh, RXP there in New York uh, the, the long-lost uh, step twin of 99X in Atlanta. Yes. The staff that you had in place. Uh, the energy, uh, the promotions, Foo Fighters in somebody's garage in Yonkers. Can you oh, that tell was us am- about that? Oh, that was amazing. That was a, a contest that uh, we kind of uh, spearheaded. It was a little bit of a national one, but we were we kind of took it under our wing because it was New York. And uh, Matt Pinfield was was the host, and we all came out there and kind of helped with some of the interviews and, and got everything all set up. Literally, this this guy won a contest to have Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters, the full band, play in his garage for his neighbors. <laughs> Those people just won 300 million in Albany. They got 16 million each. They don't have the Foo Fighters playing in their garage. <laughs> awesome. I'll take 16 million, bud. <laughs> but I, you know what, to tell you the truth, I'd rather have this. And then they, lim- and they limited the, 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 uh, uh, the crowd to like a certain amount of radio winners we had, I think uh, like uh, 25 or 30 people that we invited in and literally they came out and invaded the neighborhood and set up in the garage. There's a better rock and roll band in the world. Fuck, there isn't. <laughs> I think you should introduce us every night. That's the best introduction we've ever had. Fuck, there isn't. Even as Dave was, was, they were doing the set and after the interviews, he came in and he was meeting everybody, talking with everybody. And he noticed that as they were performing, there were some, uh, these big giant hams that are hanging from the rafters in the garage, curing. So he goes, why is there meat hanging from the ceiling? <laughs> and then uh, you see Taylor Hawkins in the back, the drummer, where he was set up. Every once in a while, he would kind of lean over and he would open up the fridge right behind him and he'd grab like a couple of beers. He'd pass some beers around the guys going, hey, those are my beers. He goes, it's mine now. And it was so much fun. And it was it was sonically incredible. The guys, you know, they were having such a great time. Um, I do have some video on, on you know, that, that whole show from, from my perspective. And talk about, you know, you, you always dream about being up close and personal with a band. 
oh my God, we were like, just like, you know, we were high fiving the guys in between licks. It was, it was that incredible. And well, right. that just never happens again. That's Dave Grohl. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of guy he is. And that's the kind of guy that the guys that uh, are in that band. Well, right now I'm picturing the garage scene in basketball when uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are uh, having their competition <laughs> in their driveway. I'm picturing that garage. But for anybody that's not familiar with what Yonkers, New York and a neighborhood looks like, Tell us what Yonkers, New York is. It's very suburban. It was a very suburban, uh, uh, this almost a, a, a very different than your typical New York, uh, uh, Brooklyn or even Queens. Uh, it, it, it seemed like it was a little bit spread out. I mean, it was, just a, it was a normal looking neighborhood, really. Uh, the house was like down the end of a like, little cul-de-sac that we had to, you know, cordon off with with a bus and police and everything. And people worrying, what's going on? And then this band is ripping, you know, ripping the neighborhood apart. Steve, I'm originally from Yonkers, and this part of the city where you had the Foo Fighters show sounds a little more upscale than where we moved away from in 1974. And Van Cortlandt Park Avenue uh, still hasn't changed a bit. But those New York roots introduced me to my radio influences, New York and Philly, due to the geography where we actually ended up uh, moving to in Central Jersey. But what about you, Steve? Where did it all start for you? When did you get the radio bug? Oh, God. I was uh, hanging out at a little radio station. I had a friend of mine who uh, was one of the guys who, who was on the promotional team. He drove the, the van at KEZY in Anaheim, California. KEZY, your hometown radio station. It's uh, 1227 here in Orange County, and I'm down, down the street from Disneyland. And so we used to pretty much hang out at the radio station. You know, I, we, we had talked about doing a punk rock show and I had a whole bunch of punk records and say, hey, would you want to do uh, maybe a punk rock show? And I go, no, nah, I've never done radio before. And so they had a guy who was, you know, going to do the show. And so I was kind of supplying him the records and I kind of went on and kind of co-hosted. And so they had what I would consider still the first one of the first punk rock radio programs uh, in Southern California, because this is 1978. It lasted, I think, two or three weeks like midnight on a Saturday night or whatever, nobody could hear it. And people were complaining about it because the music was just so punky. Uh, but at that point, one of the guys at the station said, hey, you know, we have a broadcast workshop here. Would you be interested in, in, in joining that? I went, sure. So I just jumped into the, uh, you know, the uh, disc jockey school that the radio station had. Uh, the good thing about it is they taught you uh, all the different aspects of radio, but you learned from the guys who were actually on the air. You learned from the salespeople. You learned from the engineer. These are guys who you know really, really know exactly you know what the, what what they were doing at the time. Th- from that point, I got my first gig in Lompoc, California, and these are what they used to call starter stations. And I just you know put my little air check that I had made uh, at uh, KEZY and sent it off and got the gig. And it's a little daytime radio station, meaning you had to sign off at night. When the, when the sun went down, you had to you had to turn the radio station off because it was it, it goes into a technical thing and, and whatever. So the old daytime AM radio stations. I was three months into that gig, thought I was king of the hill, and Boston had a brand new album out called Don't Look Back. And so the new single from that was the song, the title track, Don't Look Back. And so we were playing that in our little new category. And we were spinning records then too. We were actually, they were actually 45s. So the, I think Sunset was going to be like at maybe 5.30 that, that day or, or 6.30, whatever. So I'm the afternoon guy. So 6.30 rolls around. It might've been 6.29. So I decide I'm going to play the Boston song and let it play out. 
that's about a six minute record. And so all of a sudden it goes out and I'm like five minutes past uh, sign off time. And I, you know, we, we finally shut down, but apparently the, the owner was listening and he will, would have none of that. And so I was fired for playing a Boston record. So I blame Boston for in, in, <laughs> it was such a wonderful song and I had to get it in. So that, that cost me my first gig. Oh, Steve, don't look back. I know. <laughs> You're listening to Season 4 of Air Check, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities. Rich and Paul have lined up another roster of guests just as compelling as Seasons 1, 2, and 3. Air Check Season 1 includes conversations with Eddie Trunk, Danny Bonaducci, Nina Blackwood, and more. Air Check, available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to... Play Air Check Podcast. So along the radio road, you've had plenty of celebrity encounters, uh, whether they be studio interviews or out on the street at a remote location. You had one that, uh, I don't know, turned up your nose a little bit. Tell us about and who Pat Buttram is. <laughs> this is uh, the second gig of my, of my uh, career in Barstow, California. A lot of people who uh, maybe have been to Vegas know Barstow. It's the halfway point between LA and Vegas. You literally stop there, grab some McDonald's and fill up your tank. And that's that's Barstow's existence. But they had a little radio station, KIOT, K131. Again, it was a little daytime station. I was doing mornings and, and a little bit of middays there, morning news and middays. And we had uh, an owner who was really into the old Westerns. In fact, he was, he was, he was dating a woman who was an old Roy Rogers co-star uh, in all those old B Westerns that they used to shoot out in the high desert there near uh, around Barstow and that area. And so he was one of these kind of Western kind of guys. And so we had uh, his buddy, <laughs> his buddy, uh, Mr. Haney, Pat Buttram out doing uh, an appearance. Haney Telephone Company. Good morning. Oh, hello, Mr. Haney. How's it going? Uh, just fine. Is there anything else you want to know? No. Then I'll just put you down for 50 cents. What for? You ask how everything was going, and that comes under the heading of information, and all information calls are 50 cents. How can you charge 50 cents for information? It'll cost you another 50 cents for the information on how I can charge 50 cents for information. Get me, Mr. Mr. Haney likes to drink a bit. When the promotion was done and, uh, and Pat Buttram was uh, five sheets to the wind, Ray Webb, who was our owner, said, say, hey, Steve, I want you to take Pat home. Go ahead and drive him home to Los Angeles, and uh, he'll, tell you, he'll, he'll give you directions and everything. You can, here's my keys. Take my car. And he had this big white convertible Cadillac which i thought hey i'm gonna take this you know uh, here's like here's a hollywood star i'm gonna take in this in this convertible white cadillac and drive into hollywood so i thought that was going to be a really good idea um so we got uh, over the pass and into la and he had slept most of the way and so i i kind of had to you know prod him and say hey you know wake up we're on the 405 where do i go well, well, let's uh, and, he, and I realized that he'd already he'd already peed his pants. He'd already completely <laughs> let loose all over all over Ray's nice red interior, and and, and it was it was just a mess. And so he says, I, "Well, wait, pull over here first. Pull on over here." And he he wanted to go to a bar, and so I went, "Okay, fine." So I pulled over and parked, and he got out and stumbled into the bar, and he was in there for about maybe a half hour, forty minutes. Came back out again. And he he gave me ad, the address, and I had my little my little Thomas Brothers map, and I'm looking looking. I kind of knew where he was, 
And so he says, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and, and take it. Well, let's go home. And I found his place. I had to wake him up again. I finally found his apartment. And uh, it, it's, it's, I got him upstairs. Kind of this, it, it's a little bit of a sad thing because this is a guy that, you know, was on Green Acres and he was on a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, uh, Western movies as the, the, the comic sidekick and whatever. Uh, but in his apartment, I remember when I, when I took him in, he had literally an entire corner of his apartment. It was huge. It was about as tall as me of just letters. And, and, and it looked like unopened fan mail, just a bunch of letters to him. And I thought that was kind of, kind of sad, really. But uh, that, was, um, that was my first celebrity encounter in radio. What about any of your idols or mentors in broadcasting? Did you ever cross paths with any of those? Oh, gosh, real Don Steele. When I, when I grew up in Southern California, a lot of people might not know what boss radio was back in the 60s. And that was uh, these guys who were, you know, they were fast talking DJs. They had, uh, it was all about the DJ. It wasn't so much the songs. The songs were like two minutes, two and a half minutes long, but it was all about the DJs and the presentation. And the real Don Steele was on uh, KHJ in LA uh, and he was just larger than life. He was one of these guys, it was like, 93 KHJ, it's the real Don Steele, it's 24, and I'm banging my head on the console. And he would just do these weird, it was just crazy. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the real Don Steele. KHJ Los Angeles. 301, it was Angeles. Happy holiday, happy 4th of July. Drive carefully out there, be independent. Bang, 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 bang. Uh, but that's what we loved in the, in you know the '60s, and and KHJ did Boss Radio like no other station did, and so um, I'm working in Southern California, and I got a job uh, doing weekends on the oldies channel on Transtar Networks, and they're based in Hollywood, so I was like, wow, I got the Hollywood gig, and so I was working weekends, and it was uh, it's it was early syndication satellite kind of thing where you would do a radio show from the studio. And then you, when you would do a break, you would hit the big red button and that would fire off all these custom call letters that you had, you would have to sit in a studio for literally three or four hours and pre-record these and send them off to other stations around around the country. And this would identify the other stations that were part of that network. Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's a, you were doing a live show, but then it was kind of placed into the, 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 the framework of these other uh, stations with their call letters and their taglines and so forth. Uh, but one of the guys who was on the oldies channel was the real Don Steele. And he, every once in a while, would pull a weekend shift. And so I was finishing up and he was coming in next. And it was like, ha I get to meet my idol. And his, his, his headphones, I mean, his, his headphones were like something like, I mean, they were like, like huge because he was just so deaf. Uh, and, but great guy. I mean, but he, he was, again, one of those, one of those uh, radio guys who never, ever could turn it off. I mean, he walked up, go, hey, how you doing? It's the real Don Steele. Nice to meet you. Great to have you on board. You sound great. And then it was just, <laughs> oh, it, it was it was just uh, amazing. I think I, I did uh, uh, two back-to-back shifts with him for the for the time that I was there, but a larger-than-life guy. But, I mean, but really, really nice. And uh, make sure you have my first hour pulled for me, all right? <laughs> and for those that aren't in the radio business, tell us what that means. Well, we were at the time, we were playing carts. Uh, What's a cart? When we would go from uh, like my first couple of gigs, we were playing records. You know, they were like 45s and you were hoping to God you had the right speed when you queued up your record. Kind of like, you know, uh, uh, 
WKRP in Cincinnati, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's exactly the way it was, except the one thing I hated about that show is we wore headphones and Howard Hessman didn't. <laughs> uh, but from records, we went to carts uh, or cartridges, and they basically looked like eight tracks. If you remember what eight tracks looked like, but they would have, you know, just, you know, one song on it or one commercial, whatever. But there were just walls and banks and banks of these cartridges or carts, we call them. And you just pop those into the cart machines and hit your button and the song would play. And this is before CDs, of course. And then once CDs came out, then they had CD players that we were using along with the carts. And now it's all digital. Now it's just, you know, MP3 files or WAV files and you push a button and it fires up. Uh, but when uh, what you had to do is you had to pull your music before you went in. So you had to sit there and look at your, at your format sheet and go, okay, I pull this one, here's the number, I gotta pull this one, I gotta pull this one, gotta pull this one. And so you always customarily pulled the next hour for the jock who was coming on for you. So yeah, the real Don Steele goes, make sure you pull my music. <laughs> I think we used to pull two hours of music for the next jock, right, Paul? Two hours of music and the next few hours of commercials too. On our final episode with Steve, part four of four, Steve talks about his return to Atlanta at 97.1 The River after his time at WRXP in New York City his love of being a pilot, and the story how he was one of the first private pilots to fly post 9-11 as he was involved in transporting the Red Cross blood donations, and his involvement with what turned out to be the first radio station website in 1994. Every episode of Air Check is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us to be alerted when new episodes are released. You can also tell your smart speaker to play Air Check Podcast. If you haven't done so, give us a great rating. We'd also love to hear from you on our Facebook page. Air Check Me. This is Rich DeSisto. And I'm Paul Kelly. We'll talk to you soon. Closing out another episode of Air Check, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities. If you have radio stories to share, we'd love to hear from you. Join the Air Check guest list. Email aircheckme at gmail.com. Musical props are Chris Gordon's. Announcer props, I'll take those. Greg O'Brien, the OB. Air Check is available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play Air Check Podcast. Air Check is the creation of RDPK Productions.